Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and this season we're pondering anew some of the stories of Genesis, focusing at this point on the stories of Abraham and his family. And last week we heard about how everything was going great, and Abraham looked like a hero, and this week, well, the plot thickens and things don't go according to plan, and Abraham and Sarah get themselves in a whole lot of trouble. So, a reflection on blessing, mercy, and judgment when we humans are a whole lot more stubborn and even sinful than, than God would like us to be. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself And Abram journeyed on by stages toward Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning him, and they set him on the way with his wife and all that he had. In the last podcast, everything was going just right. Abraham gets a call from God, get up and go to a land that I will show you. And in spite of the uncertainty and the unknowns. Abraham trusts, has faith that's lived out in obedience, goes and then even sets up a place of worship after this long, arduous journey after which he has, well, before which he had left his family and all that he had known. So it's this great, almost archetypal hero story God calls Hero obediently pursues God's will, ends in worship. Oh, just great. Hmm. But this week, it's a bit, well, stuff goes wrong. Stuff goes wrong. And what happens is that in verse 10, we find out that there was a a famine in the land. Now, famine was much more common in the ancient world than it is today. At that time, there was, yeah, no fertilizers, GMOs, 
uh, I guess it was fertilizer of manure of animals, but uh, an irrigate, there was irrigation, but not the systems we have today. And there's uh, much more mention of famine in the Bible. And so it's not necessarily uh, like there's no moral judgment behind it. But nonetheless, it's this reminder that Abraham, who has just been promised blessing, is now going through hardship. That God's blessing does not equal life without hardship. And this is, this is tough for us. Most of us as humans have a sense of the way that the world should work. And the way the world should work is if we do the right things, then good things should happen to us. Uh, and uh, bad things should happen to people who do bad things. But good things should happen to people who do good things. And so we, we tend to want to associate um, good virtuous conduct with blessing that often looks material. Kind of health and wealth should follow wise decisions. And maybe if you're even lucky, you'll get some Instagram followers on the way. But that's, and then within American religion, it's even this idea of sort of cosmic karma or justice is even glorified in what's sometimes called the prosperity gospel. And that is where if you do the right things, then God will bless you. Like, you know, if you say the right prayers, then God bless you. In fact, if you haven't gotten what you've wished for, you haven't believed enough or prayed the right words to get it. For again, God intends for you to be wealthy. And, and one of the ways in which you can increase your, your future wealth stream is to give more to the ministry that I'm a part of or something crass and terrible like this. And although it's, again, within televangelism or, again, perhaps Instagram marketers more um, sort of more crass, it, it permeates a lot of religion. And I think it relies on this basic human idea of justice that is so ingrained to us, and that is that if you do right, then good things should follow. And if you do bad, then bad things should follow. But right away here, we, we sort of get on the edge of this grand ancient question, this sort of this chestnut of why do bad things happen to good people? For Abraham has received blessing, has done the right thing, has been virtuous, has been obedient, has been faithful, even invokes the name of the Lord, the first human to sort of even say the unsayable uh, name of God in honor and worship here. And now there's famine. And he, well, he's got to end up as a refugee. Hardly a desirable situation. So have you been in situations where you feel like you've uh, done all the right stuff? You know, been honest, played, played hard, studied, put in extra hours, but you didn't get the promotion, you didn't get the job, you didn't get the interview, you didn't get the part in the play didn't make the team, didn't get the minutes you wanted, right? The relationship didn't work out as you wanted it to. There were freakish things out of your control that sort of seemed to rain down on your house or your life. Um, how did that impact your relationship with God, with other people? Maybe even you're going through a time right now where you have a bit of anger even towards God that things have not worked out in spite of your sense that you've done the, the right things. Perhaps this also brings up the question, though, of what is a blessing? And oftentimes, uh, blessing is interpreted as health and wealth. 
But blessing originally it means something a little more basic than that. Um, and it actually means that somebody put their hands on you and affirm you, affirm their relationship with you, affirm your identity, offer you praise. And so this then becomes quite striking that what God is really doing for Abraham isn't in the blessing promising him that there's going to be no challenges, but rather affirming Abraham and affirming the relationship that they have, that God will be with Abraham. And so maybe it brings up the question, what is a blessing? How do you understand the word blessing? And at first, again, I think we all think about health or wealth, perhaps, or maybe don't, but I wonder if this idea of blessing as affirmation may actually really be what we're looking for. When I think about how much of our lives are spent editing and curating our photos for various social media feeds, um, how much hunger we have as humans for affirmation, for validation, um, for uh, relationship, that maybe God's, the blessing that we have in God, in our baptisms, is simply a validation of who we are and that our relationship uh, comes from God and is secure so some reflections there on blessing and the fact that God's blessing in no way or even our own faith or even our own virtue, our own obedience in no way means that hardship isn't going to come our way. Abraham travels down into Egypt. And at this point, he is a refugee fleeing from famine. And he says to his wife something that every wife, of course, wants to hear. They're so beautiful. They're so beautiful that the Pharaoh is going to desire you, and that's going to create a problem because he'll want to kill me. But if we're brother and sister, then he'll think that I'm good and he'll be chummy with me because now I'm his brother-in-law if he takes you into his house. And that's what they decide to do. I'm curious what you think of this. Do you think this is a good decision? Like, hey, you know, let's... Life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Do you think this is a bad decision, but a morally compromised one? You know, you think about somebody who's been through famine and is now a refugee. I mean, I've never sort of walked in that person's shoes, so who am I to judge sort of how one might act in that case? Or do you think this is objectively just a bad thing? Hmm. My sense, and I'm going to get to sort of the complexities of of this, but I I think the Bible kind of gives this, on the one hand, um, a pretty hard slap in that Sarah's presence brings a curse upon Pharaoh's house. And so I think the Bible is, is saying, hmm, the Lord doesn't want this. This is not part of the plan. This is not a good thing. And I'm going to get to maybe a more nuanced view of that a little bit later. But for now, I think it's just worth reminding ourselves that Abraham and Sarah do something really, at best, um, that's morally um, questionable and at worst just morally totally terrible. And I find comfort that the people in the Bible make ridiculous choices. 
that they too don't always do the right thing, that they have shortcomings. And it's especially poignant that that happens at this particular juncture in the story because Abraham has just received this blessing. He's worshipped. And, you know, does he go now and decide, well, I'm going to now keep in this relationship, in this prayer with God and and walk every day with God, and we're going to talk through all of my major life decisions? No, what he does is he's got this great part of his, uh, a great Sunday experience with, with worship or a season of his life where he felt so connected with God. He made a big decision. He moved in a faithful direction. And in the next chapter, he's like, God, who's that? I don't know about this God. He's not praying. There's no evidence that he or Sarah said, you know, we should consult the Lord about this. We should ponder. We should worship. It was sort of like when there was a, a real bump in the road. It was like, who, God, who? What have you done for me lately? And I think this is really sort of a, a commentary, uh, an insight into who we are as humans, that we can one day be sort of on top of the mountain worshiping the Lord in celebration for God having led us through a chapter of our life, and then in the next chapter just kind of like leave that behind and, and really let go of our relationship with God. And so I'm curious if, if that's happened to you where in, in one part of your life you really felt connected with God, really uh, felt like you even took some risks, was faithfully obedient, um, was, were, was blessing the name of the Lord, calling on God in prayer and praise. And the next chapter, when there were some struggles, kind of took a step back. And God seemed a bit more distant. Mm. And I think it... So... There is a little of a little moralism. I'm kind of driving it here, sort of, you know, the moral of this story is not do like Abraham did. But I, again, I also just want to offer a note here of, of sort of empathy and compassion um, that most times people think of people who are in the church as people who got it all get it all right. But I, I wonder if that stems from a thought that people in the Bible are the people that get it all right. And this story is a powerful reminder. People in the Bible stumble. They don't do the right thing, and when hard times come, they often bail far more quickly than they should. Let's go back to the question, though, of what God might think and how God might be judging this situation. Unfortunately, we don't get a real clear answer or an unambiguous answer. It's, there's no voice from heaven that comes forth and says, Abraham and Sarah, you did a bad thing. You should have prayed to me. You know, or th- there's no sort of moral clarification later on for them. And so we're kind of left wondering then, you know, did, what did God think of this? What we do know, um, and I want to I suggest that God has two hands in life, and the one hand is executing justice, and the other is mercy. And uh, that a lot of times we we think that uh, the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and wrath, and the God of the New Testament and Jesus is a God of love and peace, ignoring tons of passages of Jesus about judgment, and ignoring lots of Old Testament passages about God's mercy. My sense is that God is always a God of of both justice um, and and mercy. And in this case, there needs to be justice in, in that the situation is not the way it ought to be. And so how does God bring this down? Well, God afflicts plagues on the house of Pharaoh. God does actually intervene through, the, through the, sort of the masks of life, in this case bacteria, 
uh, or viruses to bring about judgment. This is fully in the purview of what God can do. Um, in, the, in the Old, and Jesus acknowledges it in the New Testament. So God has this sort of judgment, but the, the judgment is not... Um, the judgment is not simply a punitive judgment. It's, it's really a judgment designed to produce a changed situation, whereby Sarah is basically freed from the house of Pharaoh. I mean, certainly a, a harbinger of things to come later. But God's judgment is for the purpose now of, of freeing somebody from a bad situation. And also, in this case, allowing the promise of God to be fulfilled. And what's fascinating then is that the voice of this judgment becomes Pharaoh. This uh, totally other likely thinks he's somewhat of a divinity king of a foreign country, which is in itself something we hopefully will pick up throughout uh, the Genesis, um, sort of the cycle of Abraham, is the way in which outsiders uh, often have an understanding of God and and ethics and, and wisdom that sort of Abraham and his family lack. Uh, and this will be true even through the story of Moses and, and Joseph as, as, as well. So there's this way in which, again, outsiders, um, even though they're not sort of part of the tribe, um, and even the Bible's written sort of basically by Jews and for Jews, it turns out that there's this sort of critique, there's this other subtle message that actually God is, is always bigger than our own tribe, and God can work more broadly. And so God speaks through Pharaoh, and this sets up a pattern throughout the Bible where God infrequently visits people to tell them that they are doing the wrong thing. But God works through what we might call masks, both through the events of nature as well as through figures in authority and sometimes even the, the most humble to sort of declare God's judgment on what's going on which is its own more complicated thing of where and how do you know that you've done something wrong in your life. But I should say that this story includes God's judgment. And just because God hasn't come out and said that it's wrong, if other characters in the Bible are saying that it's wrong, um, that's, that's, a, that's, that's maybe all we get in the Bible and that's maybe all we get in life. But there's also mercy in that God is at the end of the story allows Abraham and Sarah to keep the flocks that they got from Pharaoh. And what is God supposed to do at this point? Again, going back to this this complaint that God is not a God of mercy in the Old Testament. Uh, What could God do at this point to Abraham and Sarah? Should God take away their flocks, their means for living? Uh, That would endanger the promise as well. And what happens is that because God has bound God's self to these particular humans, we're now going to see that God's going to have to sort of work justice and mercy over and against the both stupidity and hardness of their hearts. And that's going to be the big story, I think, of the Old Testament is this sort of suffering of God to how, not that he should be more judgmental, but how does God... Uh, actually bring about justice, judgment, but at the same time mercy and love to a bunch of people that seem stubborn, not faithful, not prayerful, and really quick to turn. 
So I end today with a bit of a, a more philosophical rumination there about justice and mercy. And, and uh, where in, in your life have you sort of been in a position where you've sort of had to administer both justice and mercy? And how, how complex was that for you as a parent, as a supervisor, or maybe in a jury, uh, or maybe even you're a judge who's listening to this? But how have you sort of, how, how difficult has that been to sort of adjudicate both justice and mercy? And, and when in, in your life have you seen times where you have both been judged, but also received mercy? And is it, can you think of an example in your life where, like Abraham, you are both judged and receive mercy? And is that, and how has that been for you? So we are blessed with God's presence, and God's presence and affirmation with us means that God will be in relationship with us, even when we, um, even in famine and even in amid stupidity, as God seeks to work out this relationship that needs both God's judgment and more importantly, God's mercy. And may you in your journey of faith also sense that even though there is always a need for judgment, may you also more deeply sense God's mercy in your life.